I always was trying to remind people like, you don't have to always be talking. Prayer can be just being silent, be still and know that I'm God. That's prayer too. And there's still a lot communicated in the silence. And so I don't think you have to fill every second and fill all the air. It's listening, it's speaking, it's just being together. I think that God wants you to be liberated in your prayer life and not feel like you're a prisoner in it. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. As children, many of us have been taught to pray and that God will help us. But as we grow into adulthood, our simple prayers can turn into desperate pleas as our lives become more complex and difficult. What happens when the prayers we pray don't seem to be heard or the circumstances of our lives become so traumatic we may doubt if God is even listening? Our guests this week had their own ups and downs in their relationship to prayer and to God. Pastor Levi Lusco faced the tragic loss of his five-year-old daughter that shook his whole world. Foster dad, Peter Mutabatsi, grew up in a mind-numbing poverty made worse by the abuse of his earthly father, robbing him of his hope of possibly ever knowing the love of a true father. These men share their experiences and what gave them hope to survive the most devastating experiences of their lives. First up, we'll talk with Levi Lusco, the pastor of Fresh Life Church, who opens up about the tragic loss of his daughter, Lenya, and shares how he processed his own grief through honest conversations with God and how he was moved to help his kids through their grief by creating scripture stories that could help all children going through loss understand the heart of God. When Lenya went to heaven, we were at a loss as parents, not only how to go through what we were facing ourselves, but how to help our kids process it. And of course, we involved professionals and our spiritual community and all the rest but how do we day by day help them navigate like, okay, we're going to our, you're, you're going, we're going to your little sister's funeral today. We're going to go to the graveyard today. We got to go pick out a casket today. And then next uh, year there's mother's day and father's day and all these landmines that are going to be so difficult to navigate. Um, and we, what we did was we would try and process spiritual truth from, from the Bible into ways that our kids could understand them. Every kid has to go through hard things and, and everybody does, you know, we're all just grown up kids at the end of the day, uh, still dealing with hard things. And for us, that hardship meant, you know, as I mentioned, our daughter, Linya at the age of five, going home to heaven after an asthma attack five days before Christmas, which was unexpectedly brutal and painful and traumatic. And there's that stuff, but then there's also you know, the daily stuff. I mean, obviously the year that this world has just seen the last 15 months, that's hard. Um, dad losing a job is hard. Getting bullied at school is hard. Making friends at summer camp can be hard. I remember sixth grade, the lunch period with no one to sit with. I dedicated the book, uh, Roar Like a Lion, to my daughter, Lenya, because it would not exist without her. Like, okay, here's how we're walking a, a five-year-old through processing grief or pain or difficulty at a level they can understand it. Because look, Every one of these kids who are going to read it, they're going to face grandma going to heaven or the loss of a pet or, or little things too along the way. And so this is just how do we take scripture and put it in a, in a way that, that's going to make sense and, and help people to have courage. So that's why the book was dedicated to Linya because it was the truth that God was giving us that was sustaining us in those difficult days that we've now tried to do what Jesus told the disciples to do and to put it all the leftover fragments into baskets, you know, after the feeding of the 5,000. 
but the idea is behind it and that's what this book will hopefully be that i i see these you know six to ten year olds or whatever age is going to read it by themselves for 90 days which is far longer than what it takes to build a habit putting god's word and prayers and scripture into their hearts and then going to school and facing this world with that lens of faith on but then also i really want to give families a tool for devotions because i know how crazy family devotions can be and how hard as a dad or mom it can be to try and spiritually lead your home we've had thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people tell us when my next door neighbor experienced grief or because their child was killed in a car accident or whatever it was we were able to buy them your book and they were able to read a book from someone who knows what it's like but now i'm excited because it's not just mom and dad they're going to be able to give the book to but the little brother or sister who's also still remaining because survivor's guilt is a real thing When we got pregnant with Lennox, we wanted his initials to honor his sister. So her initials were LAL. So we just already had LAL and we just needed to flesh it out. And we ended up with Lennox Alexander Lesko to honor Lenya Avery Lesko. But by way of man's understanding, Lennox wouldn't be here if Lenya hadn't gone to heaven because we had had our four girls and we felt like that was all the kids that we could handle, <laughs> our plate size. Uh, and we had finished having children. And then Linya went to heaven at the age of five and she had this raspy voice and she was just a rascal, the naughtiest of all of our kids by far. And then, you know, she dramatically goes to heaven, which of course is at the center, her going to heaven and us facing that as a family is at the center of this book, We're Like a Lion. And God had his plan for this little boy to come into the world. And it's just so funny because he has her exact feet, like his feet and her feet, they're just so stubby and short and wide he looks like his feet look exactly like hers and he talks just like her and he's just naughty and crazy and fun and sweet like her too so it's just pretty special and it's a gift of god to us that we hear her voice still in the home that raspy voice when i go back to the lord's prayer and see what jesus took prayer and made it and when i remember like how exhilarated I feel when one of my daughters gives me a hug or comes and sits next to me on the couch and puts her head on my shoulder. That's prayer. Prayer is me sitting next to dad and putting my head on his shoulder and just unburdening myself to him. When when my oldest daughter tells me about a crush that she has on a boy at high school and I hyperventilate on the inside but play cool and try and be unshockable dad, you know, when Lennox catches a fish and looks back at me in the boat and says, look at the fish I caught. That's what my father wants from me. So when I come to him and say, dad, I've got this situation. I'm, 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 I'm frustrated. I'm alone. I feel, and then I, I just remember he's there. It's dad. I'm, I'm hurting father. I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm confused. I'm anxious. And here's what's on my heart. And you know what? I want what you want from me. And I want you to take the wheel that's freedom and that's liberation. Last week I was fishing. I saw a bald eagle feeding its babies food from the river. It took a salmon out, but then she brought the salmon over. That little baby bald eagle couldn't go eat a salmon, but the mom's lovingly giving that salmon to its babies in a form that they can digest it. I think that's what Jesus calling is to me. It's that loving feeding of nourishment, that is in a format that's digestible to a system that maybe couldn't handle a full-blown fish from the river. So my prayer journey has been one where I've discovered I'm better at praying while I'm in motion. 
I think it was Henry David Thoreau who said, when my legs are moving, my mind begins to work or something like that. I butchered the quote, but the essence of it is when he was walking, he had great creative ideas. And I found that's how it is for me with prayer. So there's a walking path by my house. And if I need a few minutes to recalibrate my heart, I just go walk. So And then also writing out prayers. I keep a daily journal and I find that when I'm really have something in my heart to write it out to God in that written form seems to help. Many people are worried about failure, but maybe we should all be more worried about success. And I think the bigger you get, the more God does through your life, the easier it is to lose your soul, to lose the fire for the original vision, to lose that sense of passion, that sense of of why. And the moment you lose your why, you always lose your way. And so my prayers right now, are that both personally and professionally as a church, as a staff, we would would rediscover and rekindle the original soul and passion for what God called us to do. Okay, this is a passage from Jesus Listens, dated April 22nd. Dear God, help me to be strong and courageous, trusting that you will be with me no matter what happens. I've learned that I can choose to be strong and courageous even when I'm feeling very weak. However, the weaker I feel, the more effort it takes for me to make this choice. It all depends on where I look. If I focus on myself and my problems, my courage melts away. But if through the eyes of faith, I see you on the path ahead, beckoning me on one step at a time, I am strengthened. The choice to be bold rests in my confidence that you are with me and for me. Even when everything seems to be going wrong, I can fight discouragement through my trust in you. I know that you are a God of surprises, not limited by the way things are or by the paltry possibilities I can see. With you, all things are possible because you are infinitely creative and powerful. The longer I wait for my prayers to be answered, the closer I am to a breakthrough. Meanwhile, I found that waiting for you, aware of your loving presence, is a blessed way to live. Your word assures me that you are good to those who wait for you. In your breathtaking name, Jesus, amen. There is power in the midst of weakness which is the tension at the center of our faith. You look at the bloody death of Jesus Christ, which would be to his followers the worst day of their lives, and God chooses out of that to bring the best thing that's ever happened. So if he can do that with with the death of his son, what can he do with my pain? And how can I feel empowered in my pain? Now all of a sudden I feel empowered in my pain and there's a purpose in it. But then I also love that it acknowledges that this might take a while. It's not instant. I have to wait sometimes. And in that waiting is where God really is going to develop the muscles of strength inside of you that hopefully can help you to handle the kind of blessing that he ultimately wants to give you. To learn more about Levi Lesko, please visit levilesko.com. And be sure to check out his children's devotional, Roar Like a Lion, wherever books are sold. Stay tuned to Peter Mutabatsi's story after a brief message. During times of transition and unknown next steps, it's more important than ever to cling to the promises of God and to tune your ear to what Jesus has to say. 
Jesus Calling for Graduates is an encouraging compilation of 150 devotions from Sarah Young's brand. Grads will find topics such as discerning God's will, self-worth, trust, support, and much more. Jesus Calling for Graduates is perfect for both high school and college graduates as they embark on the next chapter. Look for our special custom edition of Jesus Calling for Graduates, available exclusively at faithgateway.com. Many of us want to develop a deeper prayer life. In this new 365-day devotional, Jesus Listens, Sarah Young offers daily prayers based on Scripture that will help you experience how intentional prayer can connect you to God and change your heart. Learn more about Jesus Listens and download a free sample at jesuscalling.com slash jesuslistens. Peter Mutabazzi's life purpose is to help children in need. Working for child sponsorship organizations Compassion International and World Vision, he eventually became a foster dad in 2017 and has worked with 16 kids since then, adopting two of those children into a forever home. Peter's motivation to help children was in response to his very harsh existence as a child in Uganda, filled with hardship and abuse. After running away from home at the age of 10, Peter took to life on the streets for the next five years. And it wasn't until a kind stranger asked him what his name was, did he feel a glimmer of hope that he might actually matter in this world. My name is Peter Mutabazi. I'm originally from Uganda and I live here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now we've been here for three years and adopted my oldest son, but now we have uh, four kids, so I'm a foster dad as well as adoptive dad. And that's what I love to do, and that's what I love to tell about others on how we can reach out and help kids who are the most vulnerable. I come from Uganda in a small little village called Kabale, you know, at the border of Uganda, Rwanda, and uh, Congo. I grew up poor, poor as in every way you could think about. You know, sometimes it's really difficult to explain that to, to an American, you know, but think about that you grew up and you never been told to hope, you know, then you never told, uh, hey, there's a future for you. You know, think about this way. You know, if a mom cannot feed you for a day, how can she tell you there's a future for you? You know, at a very early age, I had to go fetch water, you know, two hours walk and go, you know, look for firewood. So life was just miserable in, in the sense of lack of everything uh, that would give hope to a child. Then at the age of four, I began to realize that not only were we poor, but my dad was abusive. So on one side, I had poverty against me, uh, but on the other side, I had one person who should be my protector, my worst enemy. The abuse wasn't just coming towards me, but it was going towards all my siblings, including my mom. So even the one parent that was there to protect us, most time we could not protect her because she faced the same abuse from my dad. And so that that was what life was. That was just the worst you could think of. So for me, you know, if you told me to dream, you know, today was bad enough that I didn't really want to think about tomorrow. So at the age of 10, I thought, look, you know, I'd rather run away and die somewhere else than let my dad take my own life. So I ran away, not because I was looking for something or I wanted looking for a better future. You know, I'd never been 20 miles away. I ran away and, you know, ended up in Kampala. And of course, you end up in a city you've never been 500 miles away. You don't know anyone. You don't speak the language, you know. So my only option was to, to be a street kid. So from there, I became a street boy from the age of 10, 11 to 
at 15, 16. What we did was to survive, and surviving was every hour, every minute. You know, think about that. The rest of the world looked at you as a stray animal, as garbage. You know, you're called every stupid name you could think about, and then you believe it because that's who you were. You know, and we survived by stealing, you know, mostly food um, and surviving. So our survival was more on a literally an hourly basis. So you didn't really have time to think through, but think through, if I make it through this hour, how do I make it the next hour? You know, some kids, they got in trouble. They would eat something really horrible and they would lose their lives. Or they would sleep under the car and the car would move without them knowing. And so life was just more of any minute I might die. So for me, there wasn't really anything to hope for. As street kids, we would steal food or we would really help people. It was easier to see what you're helping than just be idle. So I helped a family and this family stopped and wanted to know what my name was. So for four years, I lived on the streets. No one had ever at one point asked me what my name was. But this stranger said, hey, what's your name? I was like, wait, you want to know my name? You know, but before I could steal food, he gave me something to eat. And so he left. Two weeks later, I saw him again. Three weeks, I saw him. You know, so I noticed that he came often. But every time he came, he would give me something to eat. And so he did that for a year and a half. So after a year and a half, he said, hey, Peter, if you had an opportunity to go to school, would you go to school? And I said, wait me go to school you know think about this like when you're a street kid like there's really nothing to think about there's nothing to hope for there's nothing to in some way to work towards you know you just live as i said hour by hour so for him to mention school it was me like saying um hey you know would you like to go to the moon it's a world that i don't really dream about that's how i felt being told to go to school it was a world out there that i did not understand but somehow because he insisted i think i trusted him to to say you know what i trust this guy i'm gonna go not because i wanted to be anybody but for the first time someone had seen me as a human being and he saw me at my lowest but at the same time he also saw potential that i did see in myself and so by saying yes i really began to dream and not to be dream to be somebody, I think he he promised me I would get food and shelter there. So for me, going to school was about food. So in the process of staying and waiting for the next meal, I realized just how good I was at school as well. And so that's really how I began to hope and how I began to truly see myself as someone who gets somewhere. Not because I had it, but because someone saw that in me and he believed and had faith in me. You mean I, I have a potential? You mean... I can be somebody, you know, uh, and that's really what changed my life forever. So after going to school for six months, he said, you know what, now I would want you to come to my family. You know, I think he was afraid to bring a street kid in his home. So he's like, you know, he stayed at school for six months. I think it's time to bring him be part of our family. So once I moved in uh, to live with them during, you know, off school days, I really began to see a family. I had never seen a family that sits and eats together. I had never seen a dad that talks straight to their kids and laugh. You know, I had never seen a dad and a mom who really inspire their kids to dream and be whoever they wanted to be. So for this man, you know, to somehow begin using words like, hey, Peter, you're special. And I remember he did it one time. He, you know, he wanted me to sit in the car, but I, I didn't feel I was good enough to sit in front. So I wanted to sit in the back. And he said, Peter, no, you matter and you're special to us. That's why you should sit in front. And to this day, I remember those words that he would tell me, Peter, you belong to us. 
Peter, you're chosen. Peter, you're hard. Peter, you're not alone. Peter, you're brave for what you went through. And my best thing, he would say, Peter, you're a gift to our family because you've changed our lives and, and that meant everything for me. So, you know, the family that took me in, they use just calling every Thursday, every week to do their devotion. So we always had devotion Thursdays. He used words of affirmation to really help me in some way, remove the scales on my own heart to feel I mattered. And so because they made so much impact, I thought, if one day I become a dad, I'm going to use these words. And that's what really began to help me begin to dream in some way because I saw something that I wanted to to be. I saw a dad that I wanted to be. I saw brothers and sisters that loved me as who I am, that I really wanted to be a brother to them. And that helped me to begin dreaming, but also helped me to be who I wanted to be because that's what they saw in me. Later, I found out that he was the head of Compassion International Uganda. So in some way, I was a sponsored kid through him, you know. But here's another thing that he introduced me to, faith. You know, because he never told me what to do. He just did what he did and I followed. He never told me about Christ. He never told me to read the Bible. He never said that. But how he lived his life is what intrigued me to want to know. Then the other part is I really struggled with anger towards my dad. I hated my dad in every shape form. You know, and I think that anger he really helped me by really showing me what grace and mercy that God had given us, how to see that, you know? And I think that really helped me. Once I let go of anger towards my dad, then I really began to heal and see that there was a future for me. So the, the kindness of one really took me to places I never, never dreamt in a million years that I would be, you know? I've traveled to 100 countries. I, I've done amazing things that you know, none of anyone in my village will ever do. So for me, you know, once I got an opportunity to come to the United States, I think I really wanted to be a voice for the kids, that I wanted to advocate for kids, that I wanted to be that voice. I started working for Compassion International for, for 11 years, you know, being the advocate and, and really uh, helping people sponsor. I know what it means to grow poor and having no resources to, to dream about. And then I worked for World Vision later. So I've been with them for about three years. You know, I, I traveled from Uganda to L.A. So you can imagine the, the contrast, the culture shock. But the one thing that I really struggled with too, one, I went to the restaurant. The amount of food I saw being thrown away, that really, really questioned my faith. Because to see how much was thrown and knowing the kids in my village that are going to die today because they didn't have a meal, I think I began to ask God, like, God, do you love us the same way? How can some people have so much to throw away every day, but others have so little that they will lose their lives? Uh, and that was a challenge for me. That was really a challenge. Then the second thing I struggled with was seeing how many how many houses, you know, in the community that like you can have someone have four bedroom house, but there's a kid in the neighborhood that is looking for a place to be, but yet we can't help them. And I think for me, I really wanted to not to help, but really in some way to do Luke 12, 48. Too much is given, much is required. That had been given so much that I wanted to do something. So I signed up to be a foster dad. But as a single man, I didn't know they would allow me. So I went in as a mentor. They said, well, you can be a foster dad. And that's how I became a foster dad. So since then, I've had 16 kids, adopted one, and I have four right now. 
I mean, that's been really amazing, you know, that, that God could allow me to go through what I went through. But for me, on this end, to see it as a way, in some way, to help me understand kids in foster care, you know, uh, the, the trauma they go through is the same I went through. The struggle they have with the neglect by their own parents is what I felt. You know, the running away and not having a place to belong, that's how I felt. The thought of nobody saw you, no one had you, no one really saw the potential you had. That's what I went through. That somehow to use my past experience to be there for them has been really the most impactful things. Not things I can give them, but things that I can draw from my own life and be able to share with them has truly been so meaningful. You know, that you look back and say, wow, God, I had no idea that you allowed me to go through all that. But at the same time, I can use that past to change your little ones here in the United States. Every child ought to know they are gift, they are loved, they are brave, they are known, you know? And so we created that. So we partnered with Starlight Foundation. Uh, you know, they have 800 hospitals that take in these plushies for kids, you know, as, as in the hospital for six months, 12 months, weeks, that we can say, you are not alone. You're seen, you're special, you matter. And then for our kids in the foster care to know that they can have that teddy bear, they can have that bandana, you know, that they can always hear those words that sometimes we don't get to say enough every day. But if they can read them, if we can put them next to their bed and remember. If that mom who did use those words of affirmation, maybe to remember, hey, I need to tell my kid that he's special. I need to tell my kid that he's chosen, he matters to us, that I would have done the most amazing part in really helping others at Farmer. So that's how we came with Now I'm Known, you know. Again, we stand to be advocate for those who are not seen and those who are not hard. I think sometimes as parents, we, we want to show the the good side of us or the best thing we get to do that we never really share the difficulty we went through as kids and I think for me that has worked well by saying I know because I was one of you I know how you feel about your parents because that's how I felt about my parents I know when you feel you don't belong because I never belonged for most of my life as a kid you know, I know how brave you've walked. I mean, some of our kids have been to three, five, twelve homes. And for me to be able to say, you're brave, that you had to walk, go through all those homes and you still smile sometimes, you know? And so they have someone that, in some way that I have not hidden or, or not been shy away from sharing my story, but rather they get to really see the example of, well, if he can, if he can do what he does, maybe there's hope for me. It's amazing the small things we can do, how they impact life for someone. To learn more about Peter's ministry with Now I Am Known, please visit nowiamknown.com. If you'd like to hear more stories about how to trust in God when we're hurting, please listen to our interview with Johnny Erickson Tata. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we speak with entertainer Kristen Chenoweth, who shares about her new album, Happiness is Christmas, and how she's bringing light to the holiday season. I hope when people listen to it, they just are eating good food and laughing and, and remembering and having moments of gratefulness and enjoying the music. We have to figure out a way to keep the focus on God and and look for the joy. 
Want to hear more inspirational stories of people who have been changed by a closer walk with God? Then subscribe today to the Jesus Calling Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please be sure to leave a review, which helps us reach and inspire others with these stories. Plus, if you like seeing our guests as well as hearing them, you can find video interviews available on our YouTube channel at youtube.com Jesus Calling Book on Facebook and on the Jesus Calling Instagram page.